Worship is a lifestyle that expresses itself in extravagant and lavish service of the Lord. In this message, we discover six key aspects of David's lifestyle that were affected by his worship of God. We take a close look at the tabernacle of David and how the church is a prophetic fulfillment of his rebuilding. We live in an hour when God is calling his people into a place of continuous worship and intercession that will result in a great harvest of souls. Say this out loud, bold and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am an absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. Last Sunday, we started talking about David, the worshiper. And uh, we're just going to take that forward and try to cover as much as we can this morning and uh, complete that, uh, that message on David, the worshiper. You know, there's such a mighty move of God all across the world where God is bringing his people to a new place of intimacy, closeness with him. And that's happening through worship as God's people give themselves to extravagant worship, lavish worship, unrestrained worship, worship uh, that has no limits, no boundaries, but it's just an overflow of the heart of people. An amazing thing is that this worship is just, this movement of, of worship is really sweeping among young people. And I shared part of this message uh, in our youth gathering maybe two weekends ago. That this movement of worship is, is just drawing young people into a, in a place of encounter with God. Young people are tired of religion. They're tired of just attending church for the sake of attending church. They want to experience reality. They want to experience God. And this movement of worship is enabling that. Enabling young people to come into a place where they encounter the presence of God. Encounter God in such a way that their lives are changed. And so what God is doing on the earth through worship is so important. God is calling us to a place where we will be these kinds of worshipers. Not to sing a few songs every Sunday morning. Listen to a sermon and go home. But we worship out of the depths of our hearts. We worship towards an encounter with God. And when you and I encounter God, our lives change. Our lives are transformed. Amen? And that must be our heart every time we come to worship. I want to encounter Jesus in this time of worship. I want to encounter Him. That's why I'm here, standing and worshiping God. You know, sometimes, even in our contemporary worship, it can become a tradition. 
Yeah, sing the same songs, clap those hands. You know when to clap the hands, you know when to raise the hands, you know when to put your hands down. I mean, it can just become another tradition. You're just doing the most, going through the motions. Listen, we got to go past that. We have to come to an encounter with. Otherwise, it'll just become the same way. Right? Instead of singing, using our hymn books, we're just doing some other things, you know. Uh, just out of a routine. But I want to challenge you and me. We must be worshippers of God. We must come into an encounter with God. An encounter with the presence of God. And that will change our lives. Every time. Every time. Time and again. We want to encounter Him. And so we are trying to understand how to be that kind of a worshipper. And David, we said last Sunday, is, is one of the best persons to go to and say, Hey, teach me. How do you worship God? What can I learn from your life? What, what can I learn from David's life? To be a worshiper of God. And so last Sunday we talked about the heart of worship that David had. Four things that we brought out last Sunday was the recognition of God's greatness. A, 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 a heart of worship is, an, is a heart that is in awe of the greatness and the majesty of God. His heart of hunger for God. A heart that pursues holiness. And a heart that has undivided devotion in good times and all of you remember that? Yeah, I've forgotten about it. You remember it? This morning, we're going to just take it a little forward. Now, I want to talk about two other aspects of a worshiper. We want to talk about the lifestyle of a worshiper. I want to talk about the service or the ministry of a worshiper. Because worship begins with our heart, but then overflows into our lifestyle. And it overflows into how we serve God. So worship is not only an experience of the heart encountering God, but it also overflows into our lifestyle. We see in scripture very clearly that worship is more than just something we do during a dedicated time of singing unto God. True worship is a lifestyle. It encompasses everything we do. Our attitudes, our decisions, our choices, our behavior. All of that is as unto the Lord. For a worshiper, everything is as unto the Lord. To glorify Him, to declare His praises. A true worshiper worships even when he's not singing a song. Amen? Don't even think like worship means I have to sing a song. No, you don't have to sing a song. The Bible says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is your reasonable worship unto God. So worship is a lifestyle. It's more than just a song we sing. It's more than an experience in an environment uh, where we are, you know, overwhelmed by the presence of God. Lifestyle, worship is a lifestyle. You worship God all the time. Everything is as to Him to glorify Him, to declare His praise. And so we want to look at the life of David this morning and really ask this question, how did David's worship affect his lifestyle? Or how did David's lifestyle 
reflect his worship of God. Because if my worship of God does not affect my lifestyle, there is a terrible disconnect there. Because worship is really a lifestyle. Worship is not something I do for two hours or 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. Amen? So let's look at David's life and say, what's the lifestyle of a worshiper? What can I learn from this man's life? Because he is such a great worshiper of God. What can I learn from his life? And I want to just uh, bring out six things that I see in David's life. And we're just going to go through it very quickly. Don't, don't get afraid. Six points, man. That's 10 minutes each point. 60 minute message. <laughs> no. <laughs> It'll probably be two minutes a point. So don't worry. The first thing we see in David's life is that he was a worshiper from his youth. He was a worshiper from his youth, right from his young days. He was probably a teenager, uh, maybe even before he became a teenager, when his dad would send him off to take care of the sheep. So here was David, maybe you know, 11 years old, 12 years old, early Maybe he was 13 years old. We don't know for sure. But it must be in that stage of his life when he started his, his profession, his career as a shepherd. He would take the father's sheep, go out into the, you know, the green pastures and um, you know, take care of the sheep. Now, at that early stage in life, he gained a reputation among his people in his community. And people would pass by those green pastures. Not every shepherd in Israel had this reputation, but David did. What was it in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse? Here's what one of those people tell about David. They say, then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now he's just a shepherd boy taking care of sheep, but his reputation is like this. He's a great musician. Now what can you imagine? What was David doing? He was out there while his sheep was grazing. He probably had a harp and he was singing songs to the Lord. He didn't have a big congregation, a big gathering. He was not up on stage, no. He was out somewhere there taking care of sheep. But he was playing his harp and most likely was singing his songs unto the Lord. And the passers-by began to realize this guy's got talent. And not only he's got talent, but he's very skillful. Not only he's very skillful, but there is something different about what he's doing. And the news spread. That was his reputation. He was a worshiper from his youth. So young people, be worshippers. Start now. Amen? And for all of us, the message is very simple. Become a worshipper now. The most opportune time to worship God is now. Start now. I mean, David could have said, you know, hey, when I get into my 40s, then I'll start worshiping. He didn't know. Right there, as a young person taking care of his father's sheep, he was worshiping God and he gained a reputation as a skillful musician. Number two, what we see is that David had a lifestyle 
of personal worship. You know, at this point in his life, David was not leading any congregation. He was not a pastor of a church. He was not a worship leader. He was none of that. But he was a worshiper. Much later on in his life is when he probably wrote Psalm 23. But that Psalm 23, which is most likely one of his most famous psalms, was written as a reflection of his encounters with God as a young person when he was taking care of his father's sheep. And his encounter with, encounters with God, that the Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He was a shepherd taking care of his father's sheep. That time, in that stage of his life, in that private moment of his life, and he had no audience, nobody was seeing, nobody was watching, nobody there to sing along with him. In those private, personal moments of worship with God, he encountered God. He came to an understanding of God as his shepherd. So that much later, he could write about that. But the point I want to highlight is, was that he was a worshiper in private. And nobody was watching. And this is something I want to encourage you and I. It's great to come and worship God as a congregation. But I want to challenge you, be a worshiper in private. When you're alone at home, close the door and just worship God. Nobody's going to hear you sing, thank God. I mean, I need that kind of security, you know. Where I can sing and not be worried about anybody correcting me. You're off tune, you're off key. This is not the right melody. Forget it, man. I'm worshiping God. You know? But that is the life of a real worshiper. Someone who can worship God personally. A true worshiper worships God in private. He has a lifestyle of personal worship. What he does in the congregation or up on stage is only an overflow of what is already happening in. And I just want to impress this so much on our worship teams. You know, worship teams, if you're not a worshiper in private, then when you come up in public, you're just doing a performance. Because it's using your talents. But if that talent is not consecrated to God in private, then what you do up on stage is only a performance. I really want to change anybody. And we can tell it now. Now we've grown up to understand the difference between real worship and performance. Maybe five years ago we wouldn't know the difference. We thought that was great. But now we can tell the difference. We know when it's a performance and we know when there is worship coming through. Because you've been in the presence of God in private. So I want to tell especially our worship team, you know, be a worshiper in private. So when you come up here on stage, it's overflows. And, and, and you're a worshiper of God in private, so you don't have to put on anything when you're up on stage. It's just a natural thing. You are a worshiper. And God's given you talent. He's given you voice. He's given you musical ability that many of us may not have. And so you've come up here to lead us in worship. But it's not, it's not a performance. It's just that's who you are. You're a worshiper of God. So I want to encourage all of us to develop this as a lifestyle. Many of the psalms that David wrote were an expression of his own personal pursuit of God. 
He was hungry for God. He was pursuing God. And out of that came those Psalms. Psalm 63 verse 1, for example, he writes, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That's his heart that he's expressing. It's an overflow what he's seeking. The third thing we see about David, now we're moving into other areas of his life. And, and then looking at the lifestyle of a worshiper. How does worship affect your lifestyle? Number three, David was bold in battle. And he was wise in daily life. He was bold in battle. And he was wise in daily life. I believe the more of a worshiper you become, the more courageous you become in life. And the more wise you also become. You know, David triumphed over Goliath. When he went to face Goliath, what did he say? I, you know, said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of a God, or the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Meaning his heart was gripped with who he knew God is. He wasn't intimidated anyway by the giants. Big, strong, maybe trained in warfare, having huge shield and sword and everything. David says, you don't intimidate me because... My heart is gripped with an awareness of who my God is. I'm a worshiper of God. I know who he is. I've been in his presence. I've encountered God. So you are nothing compared to my God. Worship makes us bold. Fearless. Because you know how great God is. You've been with him. And so he could face Goliath fearlessly. I was not afraid. And yet on the other hand, even after such a great victory, when the whole entire land was, uh, you know, uh, talking about how great David was, singing his praises, yet, uh, and, and even when he was promoted in the, in the army, in the military, yet the Bible says so clearly that David behaved himself wisely. Look, for example, these verses, 1 Samuel 18, verse 40, 14 and verse 30. It says, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Verse 30, then the prince of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. A worshiper, worshiping God, makes you bold in warfare. Makes you wise in daily life. Keep in mind, David was not highly educated. Just a shepherd boy. He didn't go through finishing school. You know, how do you behave when you're in the presence of the king? And None of that. And yet he knew how to behave wisely. Where do you think he got that wisdom from? The only place I can think of was in the presence of God. That was it. He knew how to behave himself. So I believe worship will transform us. It will make us fearless in battle and wise in daily life. A true worshiper is unalarmed about spiritual conflict because he really knows his God. 
and is so obsessed with his God that the enemy is of no significance. The more a worshiper of God you become, the less important the devil is to you. Say that again. The more a worshiper of God you become, the less important the devil is to you. You know, sometimes I'm a little concerned, maybe even amused by those who are engaging in spiritual battle. So worried about what the devil is up to all the time. So worried about the devil attacking me and attacking this. And I said, relax, man, just worship God. The more of a worshiper of God you become, you don't even want to waste time thinking about the devil. I'm obsessed with God. Why do you need to think about the devil? Say, but aren't you afraid that he might attack you in some way? Yes, I know. And if God needs to tell me, he'll tell me something and I can always be on guard. But I'm more obsessed with God that I don't even bother about the devil. Because you walk with wisdom and boldness, it leaves the enemy in disarray. And when you're worshiping God, you're in a place of immunity. You're in the secret place of the Most High. Where the Most High is your hiding place. Amen? Why worry about the devil? You're in the hiding place. The Most High is your hiding place. Yes, I'm aware of my own weaknesses. I'm aware of what the enemy may want to do. But I'm not obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with God. I'm a worshiper of God. And although I know that as I continue worshiping him and dwelling in his secret place, and he becomes my hiding place, I'm in a place of immunity. Amen? The more of a worshiper you become, the less important the devil becomes to you. Number four, the other thing we see in David's life, and this is interesting, is that as a worshiper, he also was somebody who honored God's anointed. He honored God's anointed. You know the story how King Saul, whom God appointed as king through the prophet Samuel, started hating David, became jealous of David, wanted to kill David. And he actually started pursuing David to kill him. So that David had to run for his life. Hiding in the caves, roaming about in the wilderness, doing all kinds of things just to preserve his own life. And during that season, David had two great opportunities to eliminate Saul. He got killed Saul on two occasions. And yet there was something about David that caused him to fear doing something like that. Nobody taught him. But something that came out of his worship of God 
that caused him to honor somebody that God had anointed. And here are David's own words and we can draw some lessons from that. In 1 Samuel 24 verses 4 through 6 is the first instance when David had an opportunity to kill Saul. David says, and the men of David said, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David rose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now what happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the... I mean, think about this. You know, Saul was actually in a cave. He was probably taking a nap. And David had a great chance. He was actually hiding inside the cave. He could have finished Saul. But he said, I'll just do a little thing. You know, I'll just come and cut off the edge of his robe so I can show him, hey, Saul, look at this, you know. And he did that. But even that little thing troubled his heart. Look at the tenderness, the sensitivity of his heart. I mean, you and I don't bother about making mincemeat of the pastor. I mean, you, don't, you and I don't even think twice. I mean, let's chop him to pieces, man. Let's do it a little better. May mince him really well. David took just a little piece of Saul's coat and it troubled him so much that he did something that way. Look at the tenderness of his heart. Why do you think he had such a heart? Because he was a worshiper. He was so engaged with God that when he did a little naughty thing, I, I think I may have done the same thing too. Now let's be a little naughty. It affected him. He said, man, even to cut off this little piece of his coat, he is the Lord. So even to do this little thing, it troubles me. I should not have done it. Why? Because he is the Lord's anointed. Now, he was in a bad shape at that stage of his life. True. He had backslidden. He was walking in disobedience. He was angry, hurtful, whatever, all those things. But none of that is an acceptable excuse. The fact remains, God had anointed him to be king. I'd honor that. Second time, 1 Samuel 26, verses 9, verses 9 and 11. There was another chance that David had to kill Saul. Saul was lying, sticking again in the night, the entire army was asleep. The Bible says there was a deep sleep from the Lord. Meaning God had caused a deep sleep to come. Almost like God saying, David, here's another chance I'm giving you. There was a deep sleep from the Lord. Saul was asleep. David comes and one of David's men offers to do the work for him. First Samuel 26. I was saying, hey, you keep your hands clean. I'll do the dirty job for you. David's soldiers offered to do that. But here's what David tells him. And David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of his water that is by his head and let us go. Now we'll take, we'll just take his jug and spear. Let him know that we came here and you know, but we spared his life. And the reason I spared his life is because he is the Lord's anointed. So here's something that teaches us about the life of a worshiper. 
How does my worship of God affect my lifestyle? It causes me to honor people. Why? I honor people not because of their merit. I honor them because of the role and the responsibility that God has given them in my life. And the Bible teaches honor. Wives, honor your husbands. The pastor, what does that have to do with worship? Because if you're a worshiper of God, You will honor the God who appointed that person in your life. God's people are to honor those in spiritual leadership. We are to honor those who are in civil leadership. We are to honor those who are in leadership above us corporately, meaning in your workplace. We are to honor one another. We are to honor even the least in God's kingdom. God calls us to do all of that. Honor. Show respect. Honor is demonstrated through faithfulness. That will highlight David's life. When Saul heard about the fact that David has spared his life a second time, Saul responded in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel. I just give you the reference. 1 Samuel 22 uh, 24, 17, he says, Saul says, you know, David, you spared my life twice. There really is no one who is as faithful as you are. Honor demonstrates itself in, in faithfulness. So here's the point I want to bring across here. A true worshiper demonstrates honor of man because of his honor of the God who appointed the man. You demonstrate honor of man because you honor the God who appointed the man. Are you understanding this? Yes or no? We honor, not because of their merit, but because of what God has done for them in our lives. Yesterday, I haven't got permission to share this testimony, but yesterday we took Josh. Our son Joshua, we, uh, all of us as a family, we went to Bing School of Music. That's where Josh uh, had got all his training in music for many years now. And uh, we got Josh uh, two CDs, two uh, nice plaques, made him gift wrap it the previous evening, got it all ready. That was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We went in between. We had a, two pastors meeting back to back, but in between we went to the music school as a family. And Josh went to give this gift to his music teachers. Two teachers really impacted his life. One was Ashley's sir. The other one was Sudan's sir. See, when I gave it to him, I said, Joshua, what you're doing is this. You're honoring the people whom God put in your life. That's what you're doing now. Because they started working with him when he was little small, really, really, really young, teaching him guitar. He gave him all the way. Finally, he made it through the audition of all people's chair, <laughs> which is like really high, you know. <laughs> he passed the audition. So now, you know, he's getting ready to play in the worship team. So now we went back to the teachers to thank him. Like, th this is the objective. We sent him to you to help him, train him, 
so they can reach this level. And he's made it, and we want to thank you for it. So we took him, went as a family, and he gave these gifts, this, this, this music says. But the point I want to make is this. We need to teach people the importance of honor. Amen. Parents, teach your children the importance of honoring the people God has put in their life. Teachers, other people that may be impacting that, teach them how to honor them. Don't take it for granted. Because God has put them in their life to do something important, to mold them, shape them, teach them honor. And that we as a people must learn to honor one another. God has put all, each of us in each other's lives. And we're shaping each other's lives. Honor those people for imparting into your life. When you do that, you're honoring the God who has placed them in your life. Number five. A worshiper listens to God. Over and over again in David's life, before he became king and even after he became king, you'll read over and over again in his life that he inquired of God. When he had a difficult, when he had a difficult situation, he would inquire of God. When he had to go into battle, he would inquire of God. He would go to God and say, God, what are you telling me to do? Here's one example in 1 Samuel 23, 1-5. They told King David, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kailah and they are robbing the threshing floors. Then David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kailah. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kailah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. The Lord said to him, answered him and said, arise and go down. For I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kailah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away the livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kailah. Now, here's just one example. And you find this over and over again in the life of David. Whenever he went, was about to go do something, he would say, God, what do you say? Should I go? Should I not go? In this particular instance, God said go, but the people were not ready. His soldiers were not ready. He's like, David, are you sure? I mean, the enemy is so big. You want us to go? Are you sure we should step out? So David goes back and says, God, what are you saying? God says, go. So he says, I've heard God say go two times. We're going. Let's go. And sure enough, God gives the victory. The point is this, that a worshiper not only worships God, but he's also a, a, someone who has his heart in tune with God a heart that seeks to know and to do what pleases God. The lifestyle of a worshiper is this. I worship God, but I also want to listen to Him so that I go out and do what is pleasing to Him. We had a pastor's meeting yesterday and I heard one of the men say there, one of the men of God shared this with us. He said, the language of intimacy is obedience. The language of intimacy is how do I show that I'm really intimate with God? I obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So a worshiper not only worships God, 
But he tunes his heart to know the heart of God so that he can then go out and do, say and do the very things that please God. Now I want to make a side comment, comment here. You know, sometimes uh, we run into people who always say, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, God is telling me to do this, God tells me to do that. And that is good in one sense that you are trying to listen to God yourself. But what I've found is that many times people are off in the wrong thing. And they use this phrase, the Lord is telling me this, the Lord is telling me that. Which actually prevents them from hearing from God. Because when somebody comes to me and says, the Lord told me this, I keep quiet. Even if I know they're on the wrong. Why? Because the moment I say you are wrong, that means I'm telling them, look, you didn't, God didn't really speak to you. I'm challenging what they claim they heard from God. And they would not listen to me anyway. So, while it is important for us to hear from God, I believe that a true worshiper has a tender heart. Not only to listen to God for himself, but also to listen to what God is saying to him through other people. Because God does speak to other people. Amen. So our approach should always be, I'm hearing something from God, but God, send somebody to speak to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. What if I'm not hearing correctly? What if I am presupposing something because of my own inclinations towards something? Maybe you like the BMW. So you're praying, God, should I buy the BMW? And whether God is speaking or not, your body, soul, and spirit is saying yes. Because you like it. So then you come to the pastor and say, Pastor, the Lord is telling me to buy a BMW. Now what do you want me to say? I mean, if God's telling you, who am I to contradict what God is telling you? All I can say is, God bless you, go buy it. But if you come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, I feel like I should buy a BMW. What do you feel I should, what do you feel? Then I'll ask you some questions. First question is, do you have the money? And if you say, Pastor, I have to sell my house and everything but I say, man, I don't think that's God. Very simple for me. But I can't even speak that into your life if you come and tell me, the Lord is saying, buy a BMW. I'll keep my mouth shut and say, God bless him with a BMW. <laughs> because you've closed your ability to hear from God through other people the moment you begin to say, the Lord is telling me, the Lord is telling me. And I find so many Christians talking that way. I can't even speak a word of wisdom into their life because they're talking that way. So I believe a true worshiper has a tender heart not only to listen to God for himself, but his heart is tender enough to listen to what God is saying to him through other people. He's not afraid. And when there is a match, there is a confirmation in the mouth of two or three witnesses. He knows God is speaking. But he's also willing to accept when he's wrong. I, I made a mistake. Sorry. 
number six. Last point here. A true worshiper that we see in David's life, he's undignified and unrestrained. David's worship of God went beyond the ordinary. And you know the story when after he'd become king and the, one of the first things he did was to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And in bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, David celebrated with such great enthusiasm. The Bible says he danced and he leapt before the Lord with all his might. He, he, he made himself, he humbled himself in front of all his people because he wanted to celebrate what God was doing. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back into the city of Jerusalem and he wanted to celebrate that he danced and he sang before the Lord unrestrained, uh, 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 nothing holding, ba- holding him back. And yet, that made him look very foolish in the eyes of all his people. Hey, look at our king. Look at the way he's, he's dancing before God. And his own wife despised him because of that. But David said, I'll be as undignified as this and even more for the Lord's sake. Because of the Lord. I want to worship him. Amen. I mean, think of our, you and me today. Many of you say, lift your hands up. We go half mark. What do you call it? Half flag? Flag? You know, half flag. No. Come on, why can't you put your hands up all the way? No, I don't want to look. Ah, oh, people see me. No. So what? You're worshiping God. Why are you worried what people are going to think about you? David wasn't. A true worshiper is unafraid to express his adoration of the Lord, even if he's despised by man in doing so. He's not afraid to let people know that he loves God, and he he loves God deeply, that he's passionate about God, and and he worships the true and living. He's not afraid. If people despise him, people think he's nuts, that's okay. Anyway, they're going to think about it sooner or later. So might as well... Be called foolish for the good things. That you're a worshiper of God. That you're not afraid to worship Him and and express your love and adoration for Him. That's a true worshiper. The next few moments, I just want to talk about the ministry or the service of a worshiper. What can we learn about David's life? You know, so he was a worshiper of God, but how how did that affect his ministry and what he did to serve God? See, it's one thing to go there and sing praises to God and worship Him. But that worship should then reflect in what I do for the Lord. In my service for God. In my ministry for His cause, for His kingdom. What do we see about from David's life? Very quickly. David, after he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he built what we called, call as, what the Bible calls as, as the Tabernacle of David. And he also made preparations for the building of the temple, which Solomon, his son, would raise up or would build. And as he made these preparations, he did both these things. He built the tabernacle, uh, which was a temporary uh, structure. And he made preparations to build the temple, which was more of a permanent structure. Here are some things we find. I'll just summarize it. We find that David recognized God's worthiness of everything he did. The Bible records that, the, that David gave lavishly and he, the people responded that way. But he said, God, you're worthy of all of this. 
I mean, I'm not doing God any favor. He recognized God as worthy of all that he gave. Secondly, David was extravagant in his giving, and the people followed the example. I mean, he didn't just give a little bit. He gave hugely, immensely, extravagant in his giving, and the people also responded that way. That's how Solomon's temple uh, preparations were made for the Solomon's temple. David went beyond doing just the bare minimum for the house of God. He didn't say, you know, I have two hours for you, God, once a week. That's all I have. Don't ask me more. He didn't say that. He just went beyond everything. The tabernacle that he set up was a place where there was worship 24-7. Every day of the year that went on for 33 years. That's how he thought. That's the kind of worship I must give to God. And David laid it all down to give God his best. I mean, that's the kind of ministry that comes out of a worshiper of God. When somebody is a worshiper of God, he doesn't think like, wow, I'm giving God so much. He doesn't think like that. Because his heart is so overwhelmed with God. He says, man, this is so little. My God is so big. Even after lay everything down, even that is so little. Compared to how great God is. Amen. So the service of a worshiper is extravagant. And he doesn't think he's doing too much for God. That was what we see in David's life. I want to close this two-part series. But just. Hitting on the whole purpose of this message here, which is to talk a little bit about the tabernacle of David. Maybe sometime we will do this, uh, uh, this in a greater detail. But I'll just, I'll just stay with me for a few moments, and I'm going to go through this really quickly. We mentioned to you last Sunday that David built what we call the tabernacle of David. A place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, and he instituted worship. We told you last Sunday that he had how many singers or how many worship, how many musicians? 4,000 musicians, 4,000 doorkeepers, and 288 singers who would be there to offer up continuous worship to God in the tabernacle of David. And he set up this in such a way that they, he made 24 teams, music teams. And these, they would rotate, they would take turns to, be, to, to offer up worship to God so that there was 24-7 continuous worship taking place in the tabernacle of David. And this went on for 33 years. I want to highlight some important features of this kind of worship in the tabernacle of David and then bring our attention to what the Lord is doing in these days. Three things, three important things that highlighted this worship. First of all, it was extravagant worship and intercession that went on. In 1 Chronicles, the 16th chapter and the 4th verse, 1 Chronicles 16, 4, it's not on the slide there, so I'll just read that for us. First Chronicles 16 and verse 4. 
It says he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, that is to pray or intercede, to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. So they were appointed by the king. They were paid, taken care of. They said, you don't have to do anything. We take care of your salary, all your needs. All you've got to do is to pray and thank and worship God. So these people were appointed in the tabernacle, 4,000 musicians, 4,000 doorkeepers, 288 singers. They were appointed by the king, taken care of fully, saying, all you've got to do is intercede and worship. I mean, that was extravagant. It was never done like that before in Israel. Paid for by the kingdom. It was worship probably at its highest here on earth. You know, we worship, but we do it for 30 minutes. Maybe 40 minutes. If it goes to 45 minutes, people say, man, the worship is really long today. But think about that kind of worship in that tabernacle. Non-stop, day and night, 24-7. Went on. Extravagant worship and intercession happened. The second thing about that worship in the tabernacle was it was prophetic. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Chronicles 25, Verses 1 through 8, you find this described for us. First Chronicles 25, 1 to 8. I'll just pick out some key verses there. In verse 3, uh, verse 2, it says, it talks about the people who were uh, in part of that worship team. It says, who prophesied according to the order of the king. Verse 1, it says, who should prophesy with harps and stringed instruments. Uh, verse 3, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. Verse 5, Haman was a king's seer, meaning a prophet, in the words of the Lord. So, in all these verses, talking about these singers in the, in the tabernacle, they worshipped God prophetically, meaning it was inspired by the Spirit. It wasn't like, let's go to hymn number 107. The congregation may now rise. No. And then, you know, you make your way through the hymn and say, you may now be seated. It wasn't that kind of worship. It was prophetic. The Holy Spirit was in charge. And these singers were trained to listen to the Lord. And these songs and these psalms were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they were sung by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it is prophetic in nature. Many of it was just spontaneous songs that would be birthed unto the Lord. That was the nature of the worship that took place in the tabernacle of David. The third thing that we see was it was orderly worship with excellence. Meaning, you, if you look at all these chapters, 1 Chronicles 16, 24, 25, and 26, 24, 25, 26, you find that David was very detailed in the way he organized it. There were musicians, teams of musicians, teams of singers. Uh, they were each allocated a particular slot of time they had to come in that time and they had to follow their order. They had leaders over them. Every worship team had a worship leader. So they had to follow their leader. It wasn't like come and do whatever you want. It was so well organized, orderly worship. And uh, here in First Chronicles 25, it tells us, you know, um, 
They were under the leadership. Each group was under the leadership of the, head, the person who was leading it. And not only was it orderly, but it was, it was excellent. It says, um, uh, verse 1, 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1. There were skilled men performing their service. Skilled men. Again, it repeats in verse number 6. Sorry, verse 7. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful was 288. First Chronicles 25 verse 7. They were skillful. Meaning these were not just ordinary people just trying to sing some songs. No, they were skilled. They were very good. There was excellence in, in the worship that was being offered in that tabernacle. So three things that highlighted the worship in the tabernacle of David. First, it was extravagant worship and intercession. Number two, it was prophetic. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, it was orderly and it was excellent. There was skill involved. It was excellent in worship. Now here's the thing I want to bring our attention to. David set this tabernacle up. Worship went on. He died. He became history. King Solomon came. Other kings came. And all of that time went by, the nation backslid, they went into all kinds of things, the kingdom was divided, they became two kingdoms, uh, and all of that happened. 300 years after David passed away, God raised up a prophet named Amos, this is in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 13, and this prophet Amos, in chapter 9, verse 11 to 13, he says this, verse 11 he says, God is speaking through him, and God says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I will raise up its ruins as in the days of old. Then in verse 12 he says, So that the children of Edom and the Gentiles will come seeking after God. And then in verse 13 he says, And it will come to pass that the sower will overtake the reaper in that day, says the Lord. So what is God saying? He's saying, it's almost like God is looking through time and he's searching through time and he says, you know, that worship that took place those 33 years, that's the best. I'm bringing it back. Amen? And he says, I will bring that kind of worship back. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I will restore it so I'll bring it back. And what will happen, the consequence of that will be that Gentiles will come seeking after God. The unsaved people will come in seeking for God. I mean, which of course need to go out. But imagine this, this happening. People coming to seek after God. And then he says, the harvest will be so great that the reapers are still taking in the harvest. The harvest season passes. They're still gathering in the harvest. The seed time comes. The people begin to plow and sow seed, but they haven't finished gathering in the harvest. The sower will overtake the reaper. Say, I will give such a harvest, you'll be busy gathering in the harvest, well past the harvest time. When will that happen? He says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. You fast forward 300 years or so, come into the book of Acts. 
the church in Jerusalem is born. The day of Pentecost takes place. The church is born. Maybe about 12 years after that, the leaders are sitting in Jerusalem because now they're faced with an issue which they haven't faced so far. The Gentiles are now coming to the Lord. This is in the 15th chapter book of Acts. They're seeing that the Gentiles, the children of Eden, are coming after God. And they're like, wait a minute, what do we do now? We thought this was only for the Jews. Or now it's even the Gentiles are beginning to come into the kingdom. What do we do? It's at that point that the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who was James, James stands up and says, in Acts 15, verses 13 through 18, he says, People, listen. God spoke through Amos and said, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David and the children of Eden will come seeking after God. God is doing that now. We are it. The point is this. The church is the tabernacle of David. The church is the spiritual fulfillment of what Amos prophesied in Amos chapter 9. And James says, this is it. We are that tabernacle. This is what God is doing. Now you and I know Christian history. You and I know that a thousand years from, from AD 400 to 18, uh, AD 1400, the church went to the dark ages. Everything went into ruins. But from 1400 AD, God began to restore, rebuild the church. Rebuild it, rebuild it. Re one after the other, truth was restored to the body of Christ uh, and so on. And we are here today. Where we have revelation restored to us. The understanding of God's word restored to us. And the thing that God is doing and calling us to. Is the kind of worship that actually took place in the tabernacle of. He's calling us to that same kind of worship. A worship that is extravagant. That doesn't count the cost. A worship and an intercession that will go on day and night. He's calling us to a worship that is inspired and birthed and soaked by the Holy Spirit. He's calling us to a worship, of course, that is orderly and that is excellent. And as we, as a church, come into that place of worship and begin to offer to God that worship and we are we become this tabernacle of David that has been rebuilt and been restored. The Gentiles will come seeking after God. And the harvest that will be gathered will be so great. That we'll be gathering in the souls while the people are going out to sow seed. We'll still be busy gathering in the harvest. Meaning, basically he's saying... There's going to be an overwhelming ingathering of souls into the kingdom of God. That's why this is so important. And you and I understand the importance of becoming worshippers of God. Of giving ourselves to worship this kind of worship of God. It is part of what God is doing on the earth today. And you and I must not miss it. God is calling us to this place of worship. Amen. I don't know, but I, I hope that, that God would call some of us to 
give our full lives, our whole lives to this kind of ministry. Where we will have people who are dedicated to spend hours a day in worship and intercession. And others will pay for them. So what do you mean? Hey, they did that in David's time. Almost 10,000, almost 10,000 people paid by the kingdom so that they could be non-stop worship going up to God. Why can't we do that? Amen? That God will raise up men and women like that. Now, I'm not saying all of us will leave our jobs and just do that. We all have to worship God. It's a lifestyle. We worship God all the time. But we also have people who are dedicated to worship God day and night. And we can offer worship to God 24-7. Just go on and on. And see that tabernacle of David rebuilt in our nation. Amen. As we look ahead to 2014. Once every quarter, we're going to call all of us to an extended time of worship and intercession. Like what we did some weekends ago, the secret place. We schedule it for once every quarter. And I want all of us to come and be a part of it. Not out of compulsion, but because we understand God is doing something. And we must be part of this. Eight hours may seem like a lot to spend in worship and prayer. But it's only one-third of a 24-hour day. We should grow into 24 hours. We should grow into 365 days. Amen? But these are steps we're taking to begin to move there and be that church. Be that church that is, that is the tabernacle of David. That has been restored. Let's rise to our feet, please. Worship is a lifestyle, and our worship of God also affects the service we render to God. When our heart stands in awe of God, our lifestyle is affected in many ways. And our service to God is also affected in so many ways. We don't count the cost of what we give to God. Because He is worthy of all of it and a whole lot more. Before we close this morning. Would you pray a prayer for yourself? And would you pray a prayer for us as a church? Saying God. Make us these kind of worshipers. We know we're not there yet. But please take us in this journey, God. We want to be able to worship you like those people in the tabernacle of David. We don't understand fully what it, said, what it means when it says they prophesied with their songs. We don't fully understand it, God. But take us there. We're willing to go. We're willing to be able to sing songs that have been birthed by the Spirit of God. 
We're willing to try it out. We're willing to step out of our boat and walk on the water. We're willing to do it. God, just take us there. Take us into that realm where we will not only be skillful, but not only skillful and orderly, but you also have this worship that's extravagant, that's lavish, that is worthy and befitting the God of this universe. Take us there, Lord. Because you said you will rebuild the tabernacle of David. You will raise up its ruins as in the days of old. You said you'll do it. And he said the church is the spiritual fulfillment of that. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord this morning. Just worship Him out of your own words. Out of your own words. These words are not given to you by anybody else, but it's the expression of your own heart. Just worship Him. Say, God, I worship you. I worship you because you are worthy. I worship you because you are God. You are the creator of everything, the maker of all things. Who am I, O oh God, but just a piece of dust in this vast universe that you made? It's my honor, it's my privilege to be able to love you, to be able to worship you, God. Yes, Father God, you are holy, God. You're worthy of everything, Father. You're just worthy of everything, oh God. You're worthy of everything. You're worthy of everything. You're worthy of everything. This morning, if there's anyone here, and you just feel in your heart that you want to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just feel in your heart, I need to give my life to Jesus. You feel that inside you. I want to place my life in His hands. And if you've never done that before, if you've never done that before, you feel this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to give it to His hands. We want to pray with you. We want to help you do that. If there's anyone here and you want to do that, I just want you to lift your hand up. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I've never done that before, but I feel I want to do that this morning. Anybody, just, you put your hand up. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say this with me. In your own words, and I'll just lead you. But you pray and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender my life into your hands. From this moment on, my life is in your hands, Jesus. Forgive all my sins. Wash me in your blood. Make me a child of God. And help me to walk with you for the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you for that, doing that. 
Let's close. Let's close. Father, we just thank you. What you're doing in our hearts and doing in our lives. And we are just asking for more, Father. Just do this more in us. And we come to that place of worship. And we are saturated in your presence. Oh God. We thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you. Surround you with his divine favor. And give you his peace. In Jesus name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.